Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the official Doctor Who podcast. As no one is calling it, I am Juno Dawson. I'm Terrell Charles. And I'm Crystal D. This week, with the help of lead writer Russell T. Davis himself, we are going to be talking about episode one, The Star Beast. Ooh. Ooh. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks. Um, if you have not watched the episode yet, obviously there are going to be spoilers. So please stop listening right now. Go away, watch The Star Beast, and then come straight back because we have lots of secrets and brand new information. Mm. Thank you. You're That's welcome. more like it. <laughs> now, in front of us, if you are listening, not watching, in front of us we have sealed envelopes. These are the orders of Russellon. Thank, thank you. Russell on himself. So let's crack on. Terrell, would you like to open envelope number one? I'd love to. And the Orders of Russell on is such a great name and I love whoever came up with that. Okay, this just says, they're back. Yes. <laughs> um, they're back. Um, David Tennant's back. My fave. My fave. Mine too. I think a lot of people's for me. Is it, your, is it your favourite Doctor of all 14? Of all 14, David Tennant is 100% my favourite Doctor. He was my first Doctor, which probably gives a bit of bias, but yeah. Who who was your Doctor, Crystal? David Tennant as well, yeah. David Tennant is my Doctor, but also Catherine Tate as Donna Noble is my favourite companion. So obviously the specials, the Star Beast, seeing them back on screen has just been absolutely incredible. Are we on the, Are we on an age precipice? Do I sit before you several years old? Let's not get into that. But so <laughs> my doctor will always be Sylvester McCoy, which I'm giving away my age. But I love them all. I love them all. But I think David might be my favourite as well. Yes. Sorry to all the other actors who have played the doctor. And he's just... For me, that opening shot where the TARDIS lands and he comes out of the TARDIS and... He's really enjoying being the Doctor again. He's really yeah. enjoying being this face. He's got his swagger on, and he's just delighted yeah. at being, at, you know, at being well, the tenth Doctor, the fourteenth Doctor. It's a bit confusing. Yeah. But, well, are we going to get on? <laughs> what were you expecting? What? Because before the Star Beast, I thought we might have like a super traumatized Doctor. Mm. Like, what is happening? My regeneration has gone horribly wrong. But actually. That like you're so right. He steps out of the TARDIS and his face just lights up. Yeah, I think in in very much tenth, tenth Doctor fashion, he was almost just happy to be him. He was just like, oh, cool, I'm this one again. And you know, he didn't want to go, did he? Yeah. So he's back. So why wouldn't he be? You know, absolutely, you know, absolutely delighted. So there's obviously been some time between him regenerating and him yes. landing because he's got the Sonic. Mm. Yeah. And the Sonic can do some really wacky stuff as well. <laughs> So I don't know how long he's been working on that, Sonic. We know a little time must have passed for two reasons. One, 
Juno Dawson wrote an entire season of Doctor Who Redacted, <laughs> which is running concurrently. It ends with the ship crashing into Camden. Well done if you spotted that Easter egg. And number two, we know that in Doctor Who magazine, there has been a whole comic strip featuring the 14th Doctor. So canonically, there have been adventures between the power of the Doctor and yeah. the Star Beast. Gotcha. So we know yeah. this is true. I assume then the, the Sonic Screwdriver changed. I imagine it's similar to how all the other screwdrivers changed. The TARDIS just said, look, you're a new face, have this. Have an upgrade. Have a, have a massive upgrade. Yeah. This is a sonic screwdriver. Okay. I think, Crystal, let's <gasps> whip open envelope number two and see what's inside. <gasps> the meep. Yes. The meep. The meep. The meep. Um, now, if, if, we, if we do not know, were we familiar with the meep prior to going into Starbeast? To be honest, only... From the comics, I had no idea what was going to unfold and, and, you know, whether Meep was good or bad. So Yeah, same. I naturally, like everybody else probably, I went around to Google to figure out what's going on. Saw the odd tweet every now and again from people saying, the Meep's cute, but don't trust it. Don't trust mm. the Meep was just flying around the internet. Um, and I'm so happy I didn't look into it more because that was a fun surprise. I mean, there are two types of Doctor Who fans. There are those who would choose to spoil it themselves and there are those who would not. And I think the vast majority of people who sat down to watch Doctor Who tonight or last night will have had no idea who the Meep was or Beep the Meep. As far as I know, so the best of my understanding, we are going back to the 70s when Meep was first introduced. So I've always known that Beep the Meep, Meep yeah. is, is a villain. Um, but that said, did that in any way reduce my enjoyment of the moment when cute Meep goes to red-eyed pincer teeth. It's amazing. That is one of the best moments of the episode. It was like both funny and scary at the exact same time. Um, I think it, I think it was Miriam's voice that made it extra funny, but then it was just like the, the sort of Mr. Burns hands and everything. I think the, the Meep really reminds me, in that moment, reminds me of that cat meme, the cat at the table doing that face. <laughs> oh it's exactly God. the it's same. It's, yeah, it's exactly, it's exactly the same face. Now to hell with this exhibit scene. No stunning guns for me. Just die. I feel like any cat owners here will have seen their own cats doing that face at some point. And Mir Miriam Margulies clearly having the time of her life yeah. somewhere in a recording studio. And also getting to do pretty much every scene. You hear the meep in the background going, you know, help me or yeah. like, just yeah. making noise and then getting to switch and then being really evil as well. So it's sort of like best of both worlds. It must have been an amazing part to play. Yeah, the noises was like my funny, the funniest thing because you're, it, was, it was so like so you just hear it so off screen. Just <laughs> yeah. I liked any long shot where you could see the feet going. Yeah. Yeah. For me, I, I love watching a little foot go. The, the meep was real and mm. on set and, and inhabited by a ballet dancer. Yeah. Incredible. That's so cool. I love where, wherever possible, and this is true of Doctor Who, Star Wars, Marvel, I always love it when it's a real thing and yeah. it feels tangible. Mm. And I love that throughout. And I'm sure they did have some CGI in there, but I love that it felt like you could cuddle. Oh, it's yeah. so fluffy. Yeah. It's so fluffy. And also just saying... Like, if a toy of the Meep ever hits the shelves, I'm getting five. It 100%. must. 100%. Ten, like, Ru so Russell cuddly. is back in charge now, and we know he is a man who loves some merch. Yeah. Before us is a TARDIS teapot. So, um, so I can't, I have a cuddly adipose baby at home, so I imagine there will Just be. Waiting to so, what, what I personally want is all of the cuddly, like, villains inside Rose's shed. <gasps> like, the, the Dalek gonks, and the Ood. Yeah. The gonks. The, 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 the Ood. Ood. What? What? Did it just. 
My favorite one was the so Ood, the Jadoon. Cute. There's a whole merchandise range waiting to happen. Yep, Russell Yeah. Um, speaking of the Russell T. Davis, I believe it's time for a message from our leader. Hello, faithful podcasters. It is me, it's Russell T. Davis here, and this show is now probably covered by more behind-the-scenes material than any other show on planet Earth. So how can I think of things that I haven't said anywhere else? I'm trying for you, dear podcasters, because I love you. It's as simple as that. So first thing uh, you can talk about or you can ignore whatever you want is the Meep. In the very first draft of this script, the Meep revealed himself much earlier. In draft one, it was practically straight away, or in Rose's shed. As in the comic strip, he reveals himself in the comic strip of significant chunk earlier, before the chase, not after the chase. So um, in the very first script, it's like he'd be in Rose's shed and she'd say, oh, I was making toys and things like that. And then every time she turned her head, she'd like turn away to pick up a toy. He'd kind of look at the camera and go, soon I will feast on her blood. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny. I was told by my bosses, give me notes. They said he revealed him as a villain too soon. I don't know, to this day, to this day, I still watch it thinking, I think that was really funny. Because then, like, Rose would turn back to him, she did she say something? And he'd go, meep, meep. Like that. So would it have been better to reveal the meep as a villain earlier? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there we go. So the Russell poses a question for us. What do we think about the reveal? Was it too soon or...? Bang on. I think it was perfect, to be honest, because we get so much time with the Meep as a cute little character. And you wouldn't have had that amazing chase scene where they're escaping from the aliens and climbing through the lofts mm. with Meep following along behind, making cute little noises. And I think the payoff, like waiting, the payoff is so worth it in the end. I think yeah. if you had done it earlier, I don't think it would have had such an impact. I agree. And I think a lot of the comedy that we love from the show in general was very much played out with the Meep. Like, thinking the Meep is is this cute, adorable, cuddly little thing that we have to protect. That all works because we had so much time thinking it was a cute, adorable little thing. Millions and millions of people at home would have just thought it was a cute little thing. And I am fully with you, Crystal, which is, yes, Russell's vision is hilarious, but I think... Meep mm. scurrying through the attic was even funnier. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna open up envelope number three now. Let's do it. What's it gonna be? <laughs> I just won 166 million pounds because we're talking about Donna. Yes. Donna. <laughs> Donna. 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 Ah. Um, should, I t- should I talk briefly about my complicated history with Donna Nurbaum? Please. Get you it. mentioned it before. I'm so yeah. curious. So. Um, I was not the biggest fan of Donna in The Runaway Bride because I was mourning Rose mm. and I was gutted that Rose had gone. And then when they announced that Catherine Tate was coming back as a permanent companion, I was a, I was really upset because Martha had left. But do you know what? Within an episode or two of Catherine being back, I was like, Martha who? And I, I truly think that Catherine Tate as Donna Noble is one of the best Doctor Who companions there has ever ever been. Um, I love that she and the Doctor are best friends in a way that Sarah Jane and the Doctor were best mm-hmm. friends. And, and I really love that she's back. And this episode, we've come very fresh. I've ju- literally just watched it half an hour ago. I'd forgotten how amazing she is, the actor. She's Wonderful. absolutely phenomenal, isn't she? And I think it that's really clear 
in her first time round as well mm-hmm. because I know that when she was cast, a lot of people knew her from the Catherine yeah. Tate show yeah. and I think people were a bit unsure about how she would play Donna. And then the moment, the moment she arrives on screen, um, especially after The Runaway Bride and in episodes like The Fires of Pompeii, she's just acting her socks off. She's absolutely phenomenal and she does that in this episode as well. Yeah, big time. I think the choice to make Donna a mother... I think was such a great way to flex Catherine Tate's like acting skills because the switch up between, you know, I'm, I'm Donna, I'm funny, I'm just the hilarious girl from Chiswick, but then added on the, the drama of I'm extra protective of my daughter and I would do any, I would, like she said... I'd, she will descend. She will descend. Yeah. She would honestly like raise, raise fire for for Rose and I love that. I think that, that pushes her a lot. It's like her primary motivation throughout the entire episode. And again, I just, I, I love a good payoff to, like, in 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 third acts mm. so when she becomes the Dr Donner again and that motivation is still there and that's it's still driving her mm. it's beautiful and Catherine Tate smashed it I think it's also the fact that it's not exactly the Donner that you know who we saw in that last episode um, Journey's End where her mind is wiped you know we're led to believe that she's gone back to the ro- the runaway bride Donna mm-hmm. but because her memories are kind of leaking out in her subconscious she is doing stuff like giving away her money yeah. and, you know, the care and love that she has for her daughter. That that Donna that learnt so much on that journey, mm-hmm. you know, with the Doctor. She's still there. Still, still there, there. Mm. you yeah. know. Yeah. For me, the scene of the episode, I think actually my favourite scene of the whole episode was the two-hander between the Doctor and Donna in the, in the Meep's ship, where she's like, why me? Like, mm. I'm nobody. You'll die. My daughter is down there. Ignition in 180. It's not just Rose. It's nine million people. Who cares about me? I do. Why? I'm just no one. No, you are not. And I, I did. I could feel it. I could feel the tear just perking into one eye yeah. as she realised. And again, as she, as she chooses to die, she would rather mm. die than see Rose die. And I was like... Yeah. <sighs> Terrell, could you open envelope number four? I can. Envelope number four is... Staying similarly on topic, the Temple Nobles. Yes. yes. Temple Noble family. So that's, that's Sean, Donna, Sylvia and Rose. Just loved seeing them and loved seeing Sylvia back mm-hmm. Sylvia in full force, amazing. full camp energy. So good. Yeah. And yeah. it was amazing. <laughs> she fell right oh. back into form. I loved that. Like, she, she knew Sylvia's whole thing was I love Donna, I hate the doctor. Yeah. And that was her whole driving thing mm-hmm. throughout it. I loved that every little mini detail about Sylvia and Donna from, uh, from series four came back over to here. Just her little, always mentioning her mates, being like, oh, yeah, I need to go see Suzette. Neris. Neris. Oh, as soon as she mentioned Neris, I died. Can we take a moment to appreciate Jacqueline King? Mm. Because I'm not sure she's quite got the flowers. She should have, because I think she's got the range. Absolutely, 100%. She's absolutely phenomenal. Deserves all the recognition and all the awards. Absolutely. And the other thing I'll say is, Sean, we get to see... Way more, more of Sean. Way more I'm of Sean. I'm so glad you said it. Sean was, um, from the minute he popped out of the taxi, I loved him. He's great, isn't he? He had basically, he had no lines, right, in, in End of Time. Mm. So I don't know what I expected from Sean in this episode, but he's so funny. He's so funny. And actually, I love the fact that, like, he just takes it all in his stride. 
Yeah. It's not like this is really weird, aliens. It's like, oh, okay, then we're doing this. Yeah, I, th- I feel like he, the, the what I thought about watching the episode is that Sean's kind of like the anti-Rory, in the sense where mm. Rory was always a bit like, oh, this guy is taking my woman around the universe. Sean was like, well, just throw a bit. Just got to look after my girls and yeah, can yeah. go home. But silly. it's been married. What is it? It'll be like fifteen years they've been together. Yeah, and it's you, you'd trust your wife and a partner. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But Raz is the new element. So Raz yes. is fresh for twenty twenty three. Exciting twist at the end. Did we see the the Doctor Donna Rose? It's we're one yeah. step on from the Doctor Donna now. It's like I do you know what? I had no idea how they would solve the meta crisis, mm-hmm. and I, that is one thing I didn't see coming. The sort of shared meta crisis. Yeah. but it does make sense. It like does a little yeah. bit of it. You just passed off. Passed on yeah. to the baby. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and because of that, they were able to survive it. it just like shifted. So I was like, oh, actually, she can manage it now if they if they share it. I love that. Yeah, a yeah. problem Beautiful. shared is a meta-crisis yeah. halved. What did, you, what, did you think about, what did you think about them releasing it at the end? The, I'm just going to let it go. I feel like it's good to round it off mm. because I think it's one of those things where it's sort of it's come back in the specials. It's been a really useful almost like tool for the episode as well um, in terms of like defeating the baddies, defeating the meep. But like I think it's actually nice to sort of let let Donna and her family go, like sort of like mm-hmm. release them from the, you know, yeah. does that make sense? Yeah. I think if they if they had kept the meta crisis just as a permanent part of, of Rose and Donna, the, I guess the issue, I suppose, that would come up is, oh, well, they, they may as well travel around in the TARDIS, yeah. right? They've got all the brains for it. I think the, the other thing is as well, is I think the Doctor is such a unique character and I do think having permanent, permanent, permanent meta crisis sort of un- almost undermines the Doctor's character yeah. because yeah. then you've got basically like three, three Doctors. doctors. Yeah. So I do think it is, is good to sort of, you know, let it go. I agree. And that has always been the way with Doctor Who, which is Romana was a great companion, Liz Shaw was a great companion, but there does have to be... There is... And for 60 years now, there has been... The Doctor is a genius alien mm. and he often has a human companion who we get to see the world. Yeah. And if and if the if Donna is also a time lord, we as an audience don't really get to appreciate the awe mm. of the of the universe. Um some curry has arrived. <laughs> oh. I thought I could smell something yeah. in the studio. <laughs> is this an ode to Oh my goodness. Sylvia's, to Sylvia's curry. curry. Oh, more trouble. I've made you a nice curry. We've still got that giant sausage roll from Thursday. <laughs> oh, wow. Do you know what? So, wait, what is this? So, it's tuna... Tuna madras. Tuna madras. I don't think I've ever had this before. Nor me. It smells good, though. Hmm. I wouldn't put olives in a curry. I don't know who's oh, quite nice. I've intentionally moved the olives out of the way. Do you know what? Because like olives much. are the worst. No, I olives are vile. Oh, it's, no. quite, it's actually quite spicy. <laughs> I'm not very good with this spicy food. not a spicy curry crystal. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. Not from Bradford. <laughs> Has this actually been made by Sylvia Nobom? Something smells nice. Tuna madras. When they said tuna madras in the show, I was like, that's so specific. Mm. Who has tuna madras? Yeah, I Yeah. Tuna madras. There was like a whole episode going on, and I couldn't move past tuna madras. Yeah, so yeah. Like, that's so. Was, like, I've heard that. I thought of like yeah. fish, like go and fish mm, curry, but yeah. I wouldn't do it with. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. 
Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tuna. Mm. While we digest our tuna madras, um, let's once again hear from um, lead writer Russell T. Davis. So now, trigger warning for potentially contentious conversation, if we don't mind my leading myself into this, which is that of dead naming. Uh, Rose at one point is dead named in the street by some kids calling her by her dead name, which is Jason. Well, Jason, you all right? Oh, looking good, Jason. Well, give us a kiss, Jason. Oh, get them. Is that Josie Wingate's boy? Just leave it. The interesting thing about Jason is actually it means healer or doctor, which means that Donna actually named her child after the doctor without realising it subconsciously, which is a nice fact to get in there. To get that across and to get the sort of prejudice that's being shown towards Rose by those bullies and thugs in the street, we actually have to have a scene of dead naming. So I'm kind of handing this over to you, Juno, really, in a way, which is to say, is that a good thing to do? Is that a wise thing to do? Is that a difficult thing to do? Um, I personally think we should stare into difficult stuff like this, but equally, what a nice, easy life I've got, and I'm ready to be told otherwise. So what do you think? Mm. So I feel that... It is important to show the lived reality of trans people. Um, Rose is played by an amazing trans actor, Yasmin Finney from Heartstopper, as we know. And it happens, you know. And I think the important thing here is that the characters who misgender Rose aren't presented as aspirational characters. Mm. You know, we see, and I think it's important that we see how upset, if stoic, Rose is, how it really upsets Donna. You know, and I think that's important. I think, to, to my mind, as a trans person and as a writer, there is no point in trying to sugar the pill. Trans people face transphobia. Mm. And it felt accurate and honest to me that Rose is misgendered. It felt honest and right that Sylvia sometimes struggles with pronouns mm-hmm. because she's learning, because she understood her grandchild was one thing, and then Rose chose a different life for herself. Is she right? Boys from school. I never know. When I say she looks gorgeous, is that right? I mean, is it sexist? Never said it to him when he was... Oh. Oh, sorry. For me, um, I thought that scene was quite important and it felt honest. I think a lot of, a lot of the time... Although it's good to show some of the struggles that queer people go through, it's really nice showing equally queer people surrounded by love and support. And it just, it gives you hope, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. It's so feel good. Yeah. I I really appreciate that they chose Sylvia as the person, as the person to be uh, sort of struggling with the, with the, idea of their naming and very honestly saying like oh I just don't know she's not being malicious about uh-huh. it even Donna says oh, yeah, me too. yeah sometimes I do too and it's a, it's, mm. it's, it's a tricky situation but I appreciate that it was Sylvia because it kind of has the idea of Sylvia kind of comes from a previous generation that's very much not used to the idea mm. of sort of progression and having to sort of uh, restructure the way that she thinks and, and, and learn but she's very like I said very supportive mm. and she's not afraid to ask as well mm-hmm. you know always it, yeah it's it's you know at the end of the day you know 
if you don't know what to do, what to say, just ask. Yeah. You just know, ask. just ask. What pronouns do we use, Crystal? Um, she, her. I'm a she, her. I'm he, him. See how simple was that? Yeah. So simple. Um, we are now going to open envelope number five. Crystal, Excellent. I believe this one is you. Right. Let's go. <gasps> the TARDIS. Oh, she's had a glow up. Quite literally. Massively. Cool. Oh, yeah. It really yeah. does. I can't wait to see all of the different shades in the upcoming episodes. Yeah. I really hope that there's a setting that like changes colour and goes into like rainbow mode or something. <laughs> but it is party mode. Party yeah, mode. It's like disco. I think it's it's the disco TARDIS, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We we have yet to see it in sort of disco mode, but um but it's enormous. It's, it's probably about four or five times bigger than any TARDIS we've ever seen before. It takes the concept of bigger in the insides to a whole new level. 100%. And there's different levels as well. And mm-hmm. I, I love the shot of um, the Doctor running around the TARDIS. He, he's obviously taken the opportunity to to show how enormous it is by like running around it and doing laps. Yeah, yeah. And it's it turns amazing. out that was David Tennant. He, that was his idea. He personally mm-hmm. wanted to, as Russell was saying, that he got on set and was just like, was so so much of a fanboy that he was like, I think it would be really cool if I just like yeah. ran around like a little child at Disneyland. The magic of Doctor Who was re- that's my favorite scene of the episode, I think, because all the magic and wonder of Doctor Who was just perfectly summed up in that mm. scene. Do we like the new TARDIS? Love the new TARDIS. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love I love the white look. I love how minimal it is. Yeah. I think it might be my favorite one mm. since yeah. two thousand five, and that's because. In terms of the color palette, it's most like Sylvester McCoy. Right. Yes, so it kind yeah. of feels like. The old school TARDIS, mm. but on a much, much more expensive. Yeah. Oh, it's expensive. expensive. It's expensive. They didn't say you've redecorated. I don't like it. I feel like that was such yeah. a it was a, such a Stephen thing to do. Yeah, very much. There was, there was, there was a few little moments where I'm like, oh, I feel like this is a time for a callback. Mm. They didn't do. Do you know what's so tragic? Tell me. Mm. <laughs> that TARDIS is on screen for about two seconds and then Donna goes and spills a cup of tea in it. <laughs> What's going to go wrong? Oh, my God, I did it again! And destroys the whole thing. Classic Donna. Now, I believe, once more, we have an intervention, if you will, oh from Russell T. Davis. Fuck you, don't. The TARDIS. Hello, faithful podcasters. How much do we love that TARDIS? Well, I don't care what you think. I love it. I love it so much. And I think it's interesting that I I based that over the past few years on very much loving the white TARDISes that were beginning to crop up in the programme. Clara and me flew off into the vortex in a white TARDIS. Then um, uh, Jodie's era saw the Fugitive Doctor with that white TARDIS and they stole that TARDIS from Gallifrey and flew back to Earth and stuff like that. And I loved it and I had a long conversation with myself sitting there going, do I love that because I'm a fan of the 60s, 70s and 80s when the TARDIS was white or do I love that because it's genuinely good? And I think now we've built one, I think the answer is because it's genuinely good. But feel free to argue. I mean, I think we sort of touched on yeah. it, didn't we? Yeah. I think it is genuinely good. Yeah. Um, and it's very sleek. And I think it, yeah, it, you know, obviously reference the classic, re- references the classic era. Um, references Dave the Doctor as well, the War Doctor. Yeah. I think that when the desktop is changing and it goes white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I think I think white is just a, a nice choice. I think it's kind of universally accepted as like a futuristic kind mm-hmm. of look. Um, but I, I like that it optionally changes colour as well because it reminds me of, um, I think it was the end of Turn Left when like Bad Wolf was everywhere uh-huh. and then the TARDIS just goes like red alert and everything goes red mm-hmm. when things go dangerous. So it, it kind of takes, borrows elements, I guess, of like the modern era, but it takes what was a genuinely good design from classic and says, well, what, what if we looked at this on a nice big widescreen TV? Yeah. I just think it looks, I think whether, whether it is, 
Star Trek or the Jetsons, I think the, 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 there's like a shared cultural understanding of a space age and gleaming white futuristic mm. technology yeah. is always going to feel science fiction and feel mm. space yeah. age. And so while I think it is classic nods to the 80s TARDISes, um, I think it also feels very modern and it doesn't feel like we've ever seen a TARDIS quite like it before. It's almost taking what we loved about the multi-level TARDISes from mm -hmm. the Moffat era, but then mixing them with the sleekness of the 80s TARDISes as well. So I think I think you can have your cake and eat it. Um, <laughs> I'm now going to go in with our final envelope, our Russell-on message. <gasps> and cryptically, what is the deal with the 14th Doctor? What a great question. Yeah, good, good luck, What's us. What is yeah. the deal with the 14th Doctor? I mm. thought we were going to find out, and we didn't. As did I. I, I'm, at the end of like Power of the Doctor, my assumption was it was going to stem from what happened in that episode, where we saw like the Guardians of the Edge, and what the previous Doctors were rattling around, I guess, like in, in her head, I suppose. Um, so I thought it was going to be some sort of like to play over from that. Like maybe like 10 was one of the Guardians of the Edge and because he, he didn't want to go, he snuck his way back in. Mm. I think if the universe is drawing the Doctor and Donna together again because they need to save the day, I think it would make sense for the Doctor to choose that particular face, which is sort of referenced in the episode. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that's entirely it. And I think we may see some more stuff, some more explanations as to why... He's well, we, we have that line from Meep as well. Wait until they tell the boss. The boss. Who's the boss? Who is the boss? That's a great question. I would have thought Meep was a, a, a free agent. Mm. Yeah. What do we think? And so, what, so if we were going to stick our necks on the line, what do we think? Go on. I mean, I had this theory. I think it's a quite a, a common theory amongst fans that the toy maker is um, playing a game and, you know, is kind of pulling strings to make certain things happen. Yeah. If you're not <laughs> a big fan, the toy maker we know is coming back as played by Neil Patrick Harris. This has been all over social media. This is not a spoiler, but we will we will be hearing more about the toy maker mm. later in the season. I think my theory, is, my theory is even more nerdy if such thing is possible. So um, cast your minds back, if you will, to 1981, Legopolis. Um, the Tom, Tom Baker's doctor was stalked by this spooky figure known as the Watcher. I wonder if 14 is like the Harbinger Doctor. I like that as a concept. Or my other instance is there was some malicious intent because choosing 10 and sticking that face right in front of a Donna mm. who's not supposed uh, to see. Yeah. Hold on. Let me help. Thank you very much. You know, I think that could, that could have been someone, yeah. Possibly pulling the strings, pulling the possibly strings. Toy And we've, we've seen in the trailer, the Toy Master does literally pull the strings. Mm. Well, we will find out more same time next week as we head into episode two of these little specials, which is called Wild Blue Yonder. What do we think is going to happen next week? No idea. I mean, this is the episode that has been really under wraps. Mm. So we haven't really seen very much in the trailers. Nothing. Yeah, all I've got to go on is the title. Wild Blue Yonder. I'm imagining the, the TARDIS is gone. It's gone lost. We're trying to figure out where the TARDIS has gone and why. Hopefully, I'm, I'm wondering if that gives us some clues as to what's going on with the 14th Doctor. I did have a, a theory um, quite early on, actually, when the Sonic was revealed. In the reveal video, we go, like, inside the Sonic. And then I thought, well, maybe Wild Blue Yonder is an episode, like, where they're trapped in the Sonic. 
Ah, uh, yeah, figure out why. It, it might can be make. big on the inside as well. It's I mean, true. it can do a lot of stuff. So break down concrete. I don't know if that's, that's been done before, but I was, was. He said it was like, oh yeah, it can Wait, just break concrete. Just yeah. then, night doctor goes, Rose, I'm trying to resonate concrete. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> flawless, flawless Eccleston impression. Um, I have no idea what's happening next week. We know nothing. I've looked. I've scoured the dark places of the internet, and there's nothing. Spoilers. There's nothing. Nope. So I just can't wait. I cannot wait. Yeah. Seven days. We'll be right back here next week watching Wild Blue Yonder with you. Um, you can join us afterwards to hear us discuss that episode. But in the meantime, don't forget to like and subscribe this podcast. And while you're there, subscribe to the official Doctor Who YouTube channel as well for more exclusive content. Enjoy yourself and we will see you right back here next week. Bye for now. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>